Thank you. Thank you for your warm welcome. It's great to be here this morning, uh, particularly on a baptism Sunday. I-, I came through the door just in time to see Olivia getting dunked, and that's, that's fantastic, isn't it? And whenever I att- attend a baptism service, it always takes me back to my own baptism. I don't know if you can relate to that if you've been baptised here. Um, I got baptised about five years ago, and this was before I'd arrived at King's, and I attended a small Anglican church. And we didn't actually have a Baptist pool at the church that I attended. And all they had for baptisms was this little font that they used to hold babies over and sprinkle water on their head. Okay, But I'd been christened as a baby, uh, but I'd come to a decision, I'd come to conviction that I needed to be baptised by full immersion, to be completely dunked in water as a follower of Jesus. I'd been reading the Bible, uh, reading theology books, and although I was at an Anglican church that didn't do a lot of that, I, um, I managed to persuade my vicar... Uh, to baptise me, uh, which was great. But we didn't have a pool, so he had to hire a birthing pool. <clears throat> now, I see we've got a birthing pool here this morning. Let me tell you now, <clears throat> excuse me, the birthing pool that my vicar hired was about three times smaller than that, okay? I'm not the smallest guy around. So getting in the pool was a little bit tricky. The pool was so small that the two guys baptising me weren't even able to get in, okay? They were kind of reaching over the side with their arms trying to baptise me. I couldn't believe it. When I got to church, I actually couldn't believe it. And I said to the vicar, look, Ian, I need to make sure that every hair of my head, every inch of my body is under that water. I want this to be a proper full immersion. And to be fair to him, he just about managed to do that without injuring me, <clears throat> which is great. And I remember, I remember the day really clearly. One of my friends, Paul, who's a staunch Baptist, he's a good friend of mine, he came along to support me. And I remember when he came in the door, just seeing his face, he just started laughing. He looked at the pool and he said, what's that? <laughs> what's that? He said to me, sigh. This is what you get for asking Anglicans to baptise you. It's the next size up from a font. So, yeah, I remember that day well. And it's fantastic as a church, isn't it, to celebrate uh, with our friends, with our brothers and sisters in Christ when they get baptised and they take that step of obedience. And it's a wonderful visual symbol, isn't it, Uh, when when someone goes down into the water and comes back up, dying uh, to their old life and rising to new life in Christ. And it's wonderful to hear their testimony. So I'm particularly excited to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, Well, I'd like us to look uh, at a passage in Mark's Gospel here this morning. And really, we're going to look at a statement that the Lord Jesus made uh, that is central to us understanding the good news about him. And we're going to dive into Mark's Gospel at chapter 2. But before we do, I'd just like to give you a little bit of background, in in case you're not that familiar with Mark's Gospel, and and see what's happened up to this point. So there's a couple of chapters where we read about Jesus, and he's described as the Messiah, the Christ, which means God's chosen king uh, that he appointed to come into the world at a specific time to do something incredible. And he's also referred to as the son of God, which is a huge statement, isn't it? I mean, the, the statement is that Jesus is God himself. And we see Jesus immediately doing incredible things that really give evidence that he is exactly who we're told he is. I mean, he preaches and teaches with such authority that people are blown away. They're amazed by him. Who is this guy? You know, he calls fishermen to follow him and they respond immediately, literally leaving their nets, it says, and following him, even leaving some of their family members behind and their livelihoods. Huge crowds. And even on one occasion, a whole town flocked to hear Jesus speak and to see him. And he performs supernatural things. You know, he, he drives demons and evil spirits out of people with a few words. He heals a leper, and he gets a a paralytic man to walk who he's never walked before, just using words. He says, get up and walk, and the guy gets up and walks. And he forgives sins, and that only God 
can do. Well, that brings us to the passage that I'd like to look at this morning, folks. So if you do have a Bible on you, if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 to 17. And, and if not, no, not to worry, I've got the verses on the, on the PowerPoint so you can follow on the screen. Well, let me read our passage as we come to it this morning. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Parking attendants have got to be some of the most hated people in our society, haven't they? I mean, you've got to feel sorry for these guys. Who'd want to be a parking attendant? I mean, I was trying to think about the most unpopular uh, working people in our society, and I was thinking often it's politicians, uh, sometimes it's bankers, and I know that I used to work for the, for the Met Police, so I know that the old bill aren't always everyone's favourite people. But parking attendants probably get the most abuse, don't they? I don't know if you've ever seen those shows where sometimes they actually get beaten up. Terrible, you know? And I actually used to feel very sorry for parking attendants until I got issued with a ticket. <laughs> and I'm hoping I might get a little bit of sympathy from you this morning, because if I tell you the story, I was driving home, it had been a very long day at work, and I was driving home and I was really hungry, and I really like fried chicken. And I got to a fried chicken shop and I, I parked the car in, in the bay, and I looked at the, the parking restrictions and it said 9 a.m. till 7 p.m., no, no parking. I looked at the clock on my car and it said 6.58. I thought, I'm so hungry. It's only two minutes. I'm not going to get a ticket for that. I went into the shop, started ordering my spicy wings, and then out the corner of my eye, I see this parking attendant literally leap out of his car and sprint towards my car. He gets his notebook out and he furiously starts scribbling out a ticket. I mean, the guy has like a minute and 35 seconds to issue this ticket before the restrictions stop applying, yeah? And he's, I couldn't believe it. And I, I got out of the chicken shop and I said to this guy, oh, come on, mate, you know, it's 6.59, you know, do me a favour. Perhaps I should have offered him some wings. But, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't having it. He wasn't having it and I got issued with a ticket. That chicken and chips was supposed to cost me one ninety nine. Ended up costing me £65. <laughs> I was not happy. I was not happy. Well, anyway, the man that Jesus calls to follow him in, in this passage, a guy called Levi, is a tax collector. And in Jesus' times, the, the tax collectors were the most hated people around. Okay? They, they were hated way more than parking attendants or coppers or, or whoever. Okay? These guys were, were regarded as the scum of the earth. Okay? And the reason for that is that they worked for the Romans. Now, the Romans were uh, the, the pagan ruling nation at the time, and they really oppressed the Jewish people. They treated them terribly. So the tax collectors, you had Jewish tax collectors working for the Romans. They were, they were working with the enemy. So that was one reason why they were hated. The other reason why they were hated is that they were notoriously corrupt. You know, they used to pocket a lot of the change that the Jewish people gave them. They'd overcharge them, and then they put it in their own pockets for their own gain. So I think it's fair to say that Levi would have been one unpopular guy. Okay? And yet we see here in this passage in verse 14 that Jesus sees Levi, he recognises him as a tax collector, and yet he calls him. He calls him to follow him. Now we don't know what happened after that, 
But I think it's fair to say that Jesus and Levi must have hit it off because we're told in verse 15 that Jesus is sitting in his house having a meal with him. Yeah, that, was a very, that was a big deal in that day, culturally. So they're having a meal together. And we're also told that Levi must have invited some of his friends because there are other tax collectors there. So Jesus is sitting with these outcasts. And we're also told that there are other sinners there. It just says, with other sinners. Now, we're not told what sort of people these sinners are, but I think we can probably conclude that they must have been immoral, irreligious people. They certainly weren't uh, Jewish people that upheld the law. So Jesus is basically hanging out with these social outcasts, these religious outcasts, and then the religious guys, they, they, they didn't like it. Okay, the Pharisees were the religious guys at the time, and they were clearly shocked and surprised that Jesus would want to hang out with the likes of this lot, basically. And so they ask him the question, or they ask his, his disciples the question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, why is Jesus hanging out with, with those guys, those scumbags, those outcasts? Why is he bothering with them? And, and folks, it's Jesus' answer that I want to focus on this morning. So if you look at verse 17 with me again, I'll read it out. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Jesus, I think, is saying four things here that I'd like to focus on, four points that I'm going to take us through. And the first one is this. Sinners are sick people. Sinners are sick people. Now, I don't know what comes to mind uh, when, you, when you think of the word sinner. It's probably not a word we tend to use uh, that much today. Maybe it's a bit outdated and, and a bit ancient. But it might have, have a kind of terrible associations to you. If you think of a sinner, you might think of a, of a robber, you know, a, a criminal, a murderer, maybe even a parking attendant. I don't know. Um, or, or it might just have very, very harmless associations. You, you, you might think of someone who just likes to wind people up, someone who you know, just likes his banter. Well, sinner is simply, simply means someone that commits sin. And we have to go to the Bible to find the definition of sin. God's word says that sin is a failure to live up to God's perfect standards. It's a failure to love God and to love other people the way that one should. Sin is essentially about living for oneself in God's world instead of living for God, who gives everyone life. And Jesus here is using a metaphor Okay, he's saying that sinners are sick people. And what Jesus means here is that he's not talking about a physical sickness. Okay, he's referring to a spiritual sickness. This is a sickness of the heart. It's a sickness that affects the core, the deep core of a person. And as a result, it corrupts their actions. It corrupts their thoughts, their words, their motives. It's very serious, and it has terrible consequences. Okay, this, is, this is serious. The Bible says that sin is a problem to a holy God. Sin is an offence to a holy God. And that sinful people, as they are, cannot have a relationship with God. They cannot reside in his presence because God's too holy. Okay? And it's for these reasons that sin is, is a sickness far worse than any physical sickness we, we can think of because it literally cuts people off from their maker. It cuts people off from God. And not just in this life, but for all eternity. And to make matters worse, the Bible says that sinners are unable to save themselves. A sinner is unable to make him or herself well. Now that sounds like pretty bad news. That must have been pretty bad news for Levi and his tax collector friends. Yeah, these sinners, that's bad news for them, isn't it? The, the outlook is bleak. 
But here's the good news, folks, and praise God, there is good news here this morning. Although Jesus identifies these sinners as being spiritually sick, as having this heart problem, he loves them. Jesus loves them, and he wants to save them. He knows that sick people need a doctor. And wonderfully, Jesus declares that he himself, he himself is that doctor, and he's come for them. He's come to make them well. And that's my second point. Jesus is the doctor. Jesus loves sinners. Even the worst people we can imagine, the most despised people, Jesus loves them. And that's why he called Levi to follow him. That's why he sat with these tax collectors and these sinners, whoever they were, whatever they'd done, he sat with them. He loved them. Even though these people were far from God in their hearts, Jesus reached out to them because he loved them. He reached out to them with grace and compassion. And that's the very reason why Jesus came. Jesus came. He was on a mission. It was a rescue mission. And he came to rescue sinners. He came to live and ultimately to die for sinners, paying the price for their sin, taking the punishment that they deserve so that they could be forgiven and made well, so that they could have a relationship again with God, a relationship that was broken. So you see, there was bad news for Levi and the others. They were sick sinners, but there's also good news. There was good news, wonderful news, amazing news. Jesus had come to make them well. Jesus had come to save them. Now, you might be sitting here today thinking, all right, that's cool, but how does that apply to me? You know, what, what does that mean for me today? And folks, just like Levi and the other sinners in this story, there is also bad news for us today. And there's also good news for us today, and we need to understand that. The bad news, I'm afraid I'll start with the bad news, is that the Bible tells us on numerous occasions very clearly that it's not just guys like Levi, it's not just the tax collectors, it's not just the sinners in this story that have a problem, that have a a heart sickness. It's every human being that ever lived. And that includes you, and that includes me. The book of Romans says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now let me say straight up, I appreciate this is an an offensive truth to communicate. It's an offensive truth to, to receive to process. The Bible is telling us that we're not good people that we think we are, that our hearts are ultimately bad, they're ultimately corrupted, and that we deserve punishment by God for our willful rebellion. And that's hard. That's hard to take on board, and it offends our pride. Let me just say now, I've been a Christian like 10 years, and when my brother tried to tell me this about 12 years ago, I got very angry with him. I, I I was not happy to hear that. It offended me. I was really angry. How dare you, brother? How dare you tell me that I'm not good enough? How dare you tell me that I've got a heart problem and that I need, I need to be made well, I need rescuing? I'm a nice guy. What have I ever done wrong? That was my reaction. I tell you, I was so angry with him, I felt like I wanted to knock him out. It's my brother, so I had mercy on him. But, um, no, but, you know, seriously, most of us like to think of ourselves as fundamentally good people. We do, don't we? And yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we look deep inside our hearts, can we honestly argue with the assessment that the Bible makes. Folks, I'd like you to imagine for a moment, you come back to Downham next week, you come into the building, and this is transformed into a huge public gallery, and pasted all over every inch of every wall and every carpet 
is the full story of your life. It's a complete and truthful account, not only of everything you've ever said and done, but every single thought that you've ever had. Nothing is edited out, everything is clear and on display for everyone to see. Now, I'm sure there'd be lots of things that you'd be relatively proud of. You know, loving relationships, acts of kindness and, and generosity, you know, perhaps, you, you know, hard work, good things. But there would also be, I want to suggest, thousands of things that you would not want everyone in this room to see. Perhaps you wouldn't want anyone in this room to see. And the problem is, it's not just the things that we've said and done and thought that are a problem. It's the things that we should have said. It's the good deeds that we should have done, but failed to do so. Let me just be honest with you guys. You know, I'm up here, I'm speaking. If it was my life on these walls here and on these carpets, I'd be ashamed. I would be ashamed. I wouldn't be able to look you in the eye. I probably wouldn't come back next week. You know, I, I wouldn't. Would you? If you're being honest? Well, as I've said, although this is bad news, just like Levi and his friends, there is good news for us. If we will accept... If we will accept that we too are sick sinners and we're in need of a doctor. Look back at verse 17 with me. There are two other points that Jesus makes. This is the third one. Some people think that they're healthy. Some people think they're healthy. As I mentioned earlier, the, the Pharisees, the religious guys of the day, you know, they thought that they were really, really moral guys. They thought that they were morally superior to everyone else. You know, they, they, they laboured to, to keep God's law, but they'd forgotten that mercy was at the heart of the law. You know, they studied the scriptures so intently, and yet they missed the very heart of it. And these guys, you know, they, they looked down on others that they didn't think were as holy as them. They looked down on others. And it's for these reasons that they clashed with Jesus. Jesus saw straight through them. He saw the facade of holiness. And Jesus had some harsh words for them. And that's why these guys, that's why they asked the question to Jesus' disciples. Why, why is he bothering those people? Why is he eating with those people? You know, those, those social outcasts, those untouchables. That's their attitude. As I mentioned earlier, I, I used to work uh, for the Met Police before, before I joined the staff at King's. Um, and I know the police don't always get good, good press. Um, but, you know, I actually worked with a number of really good police officers. Uh, and they were good, they were kind, they were professional about their job. But I can think of one guy, you know, there's always one, isn't there, in every, every job, who was a complete Pharisee. And I remember we used to, we used to ride together, drive together uh, through the, the rundown estates in Wandsworth, that's the borough that I worked on. And he just had some really harsh things to say about people that lived there. Sometimes he'd be referring to the criminals, and other times he'd just be profiling ordinary people that lived on that estate. And he thought he was better than them. He looked down on them. He was a self-righteous guy. But perhaps, folks, you know, we may not go to that extent, but if we're being honest, when we look at ourselves, there's probably a Pharisee in all of us, deep down inside. Let me give you an example. How easy is it to read on the news of someone who's done something awful? How is it to read about someone who's, say, killed someone or, or, or committed a robbery or you know, an awful offence? Or even sometimes you know, we, we, you know, we read the celebrity gossip that, you know, a celebrity's gone out and had an affair and the marriage has collapsed. And it's, it's so easy to read that and think, oh, that person's so bad. I would never do that. You know, I can't believe they did that. I'm not like that. Easy to think like that, isn't it? 
We might not articulate it that way. We might not say that, but we would often. It's very, very easy to think like that. But do we realize that we need God's mercy as much as any other sinner? Do we realize that we are just as spiritually sick as any other person and in need of a doctor? Do we realize that we need Jesus to save us just as much as anyone else? Well, let's look at Jesus' response to the Pharisees. It must have infuriated them. It certainly exposed their own misplaced confidence in their spiritual health. And when Jesus refers to the healthy and the righteous here, he's talking about the Pharisees and he's being profoundly ironic. See, he's talking about people who think that they're healthy and who think that they are good. That's what righteous means. But in fact, these people are deluded and they are blind to their own sinfulness. Jesus, of course, was God and knew that there was no one on the face of the earth other than him who'd never committed sin. He knew there was no one who was spiritually healthy or good the way God defines good. So what Jesus is effectively saying to the Pharisees here is people that think they're healthy don't think they need a doctor. I've not come for people like that. I've come for people who know that they're sick and know that they need a doctor. And that's the fourth point that Jesus makes. Jesus has not come for the healthy. He's not come for the healthy. When referring to uh, treating gambling addiction, I've, I've often heard people say the phrase, admitting you have a problem is the first step to fixing that problem. You may have heard something like that. And I think that's very true. And we could apply that to many areas of our life where we've got problems. But I think you could also flip that on its head and put it in the negative and say, you can't fix a problem unless you admit first that you have a problem. And the Pharisees are like a person who gets diagnosed with cancer and yet refuses to go and see an oncologist. The symptoms are there for all to see, but the sick patient refuses to accept the diagnosis. The sick patient deludes himself into thinking that they'll be okay. The sick patient tries to go it alone and dies. It's a sobering thought, isn't it, folks? And yet that's exactly what the Bible says will happen to us if we refuse to accept our sinful condition and try, try to go it alone. If we respond like the Pharisees did to Jesus, then we'll fail and we will perish. How can we get our sickness treated if we think we're healthy? That's, that's the question. A doctor won't treat a woman who doesn't want to be treated if she thinks she's well, right? A saviour won't save a man who doesn't think he needs saving because he's okay. Well, this is what Jesus means when he says he has not come to call the righteous. Jesus has not come for those that think they're healthy. Well, if we do recognise that we are indeed sick, and if we do recognize that we're in need of this doctor, Jesus, to make us better, then how should we respond to him? What do we need to do? I think this is a really important question. Uh, and we can find the answer if we just flick back a chapter in Mark's gospel. Let me read these verses. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus here was proclaiming the good news. He was indeed the saviour of the world, the Messiah, who had come into the world at the appointed time to bring in God's rule and God's reign to his people. And the call he gives is to repent and believe the good news. 
Now, repent is probably not a word we tend to use much in today's society. It simply means to completely change direction. Yeah? So imagine you're driving down a road in one direction and then suddenly do a U-turn and you start heading up the road in completely the other direction. It means to turn from living for oneself to live for God. It's a complete change of, of heart, of mindset, and of attitude. And then to believe the good news means to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died in your place for your sin, to take the punishment that you deserve so that you could be forgiven and made right with God. It's to believe that Jesus rose from the grave to give you eternal life. It's to trust in Jesus as the saviour of your soul. Repent and believe the good news. It's, what, it's the call that Jesus gave. It's the message that the apostles preached as they started the early church. And it's the message that the church has proclaimed for 2,000 years. Repenting and believing the good news is, is how we start to follow Jesus. And it's how we continue to follow Jesus every day by faith, trusting in God's promises and his grace. So friends, as, as, we, as we bring our time to an end, let me ask you, if you're here today and you're following Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, are you thankful? Does your heart well up with thankfulness every time you hear a gospel message that reminds you that you were sick, but that Jesus made you well? Are you living for him in light of all that he's done for you? Do you rejoice that mercy is at the heart of God's law? And do you extend that mercy to others? Is it a priority for you to share this good news with your friends and family members and colleagues that don't know Jesus, that are sick and need to be made well? Or perhaps you're conscious at times that you can be a bit of a Pharisee. Perhaps you need to repent today of that attitude and ask God to give you more of his heart. Or maybe you're here today and you're not yet living for Jesus. You're not yet following him. Well, can I ask you, do you know that you're sick? Do you know that you need a doctor? Do you realise that doctor is Jesus Christ? Do you realise how much he loves you? And do you realise that he laid his life down for you to make you well? Will you let him perform heart surgery on your heart? Will you repent and believe the good news and be saved? Or will you refuse to accept your condition and perish? Well, in a moment, we're going to have a, a chance to, to respond in prayer if anyone wants to do that. But I'd just like to leave you imagining this scenario. Two men were sailing on their boat in the middle of the Atlantic, hundreds of miles from the shore, and suddenly a furious storm breaks out. Okay, they've got a small boat. Lightning strikes the boat. Massive 25-foot waves sweep over the boat and engulf them. The boat starts taking on water very quickly and rapidly sinks. The two sailors, the two sailors jump off the boat into the water and start treading water with all their might. But it's very, very hard because the, the waves are so strong that it's, it's almost impossible to stay afloat for a few minutes. These guys don't have any life vests. They don't have a life raft. Their predicament is helpless. And then they hear the sound of a helicopter in the distance and it gets louder and louder. And the helicopter approaches. And suddenly the area that they're treading water in is illuminated by a massive spotlight. And they realise that the Coast Guard has come for them. 
And so this helicopter hovers above, and they see the figure of a Coast Guard coming down on a winch to come and save them. And the first sailor looks up, and he sees the Coast Guard coming to save him. And he says, yes, yes, thank you, thank you, save me, save me. And the Coast Guard reaches out his hand, and he says, grab my hand, grab my hand, I'll pull you up. And so the first sailor grabs his hand, and he pulls him up on the winch, and he takes him up to the helicopter. And all the way up on the winch to the helicopter, the first sailor is just going, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. And the first sailor gets up to the top of the helicopter, and then the Coast Guard comes down the winch again to go get the second guy. But as he approaches the second sailor, the second sailor looks up to him, and he says, what are you doing? Why, why have you come down here for me? Can't you see that I'm okay? Don't you know that I'm a really good swimmer? I don't need you to help me. I can make my own way back to shore. I've got this. I'm cool. I'm fine. And with that, the second sailor starts swimming off in the other direction. He makes it about 200 metres before being overcome with exhaustion. The waves sweep over him and he drowns. Folks, as we end today, let me ask you the question, which sailor are you? Which of those two sailors will you be? In just a moment, I'd like to give anyone that wants to an opportunity to respond in prayer to God. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And before I do that, I'd just like to briefly mention Alpha, because it might be that you're here today and that all of this is very new to you. It might be that you're not yet convinced about Jesus. You're not ready to take a a step to follow him, but you want to think, think that through. Uh, Malcolm will give some more details about Alpha, but it's a great opportunity, a great environment to be able to ask some of those big questions of life and to find out more about Jesus and who he says he is. But it might be that you're here today and God's really been speaking to you, he's really been convicting you with this message and that you know that Jesus is who he says he is and you want to turn your life over to him. You know that you're sick and that you need to be made well. You know that you need to repent and believe the gospel, believe the good news and commit your life to him. And if you want to do that, I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. One of the ways you can do that is just to pray pray a prayer and ask God, respond to God in faith. Or it might be that you're here today and that you've been a Christian for some time, perhaps a long time, but that you know that you're far from God at the moment and you know you need to come home to him, you know you, know you need to return to him. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to recommit your life to God today. Don't, don't wait, you know, don't, don't put off. Tomorrow's not promised. And mercifully, God never gets tired of hearing from us. So you may also want to pray with me now. I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's a prayer saying sorry to God uh, for sin that we've committed. It's a prayer acknowledging that Jesus has died and risen for us and asking him uh, to come and be Lord and thanking him for all he's done. It's a prayer of repentance and faith. So if you'd like to do that, then just pray this with me in your hearts. You don't have to pray out loud. But if I could just ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a few moments, then I'll pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognise that I am spiritually sick and I recognise that I have fallen short of your perfect standards. I'm sorry, Lord, that I have failed to love you and love other people the way that I should. Thank you that you are the perfect doctor and that you died to make me well so that I could be forgiven of all my sin and have a wonderful relationship with you. Thank you that you rose from the grave and that you give the promise of eternal life to all who believe in you. I turn away now from all I know to be wrong, and I turn to you, God. 
Please come into my life now as my ruler and my closest friend. And please help me to live for you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. If I could ask you to keep your eyes closed just for, just for a second. Uh, so if there's anyone that prayed that prayer, perhaps for the first time, or maybe as a recommitment, if you did, would you just raise your hand so we can see you uh, and support you if, if that's you? If not, that's fine. Okay, one over there, thank you. Two over there. If there's anyone else, three, four, brilliant. Just respond to God now. If he's speaking to you, we're not going to get you up here. We just want to see you and, and, and pray with you and respond with you. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, let me just pray to end. Father God, thank you that you are a God that loves sinners. You love us, Lord, and you gave your son for us, Lord. I pray for us now, and particularly the people that have raised their hands that have responded to you now, Lord. Meet with them in a deep way, Lord, we pray, and let them know your love and grace and compassion on them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.